Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about pre-emerge herbicides, especially pre-emerge corn herbicides. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So when it comes to pre-emerge corn herbicides, we've already been spraying on our farm for a couple of weeks now, and a lot of people go, what? I thought the ground was frozen. You can't be out there working. Well, we can when we're when we're only spraying. So what we really like to do at this time of year is spray when the ground is, is firm in the morning. So let's say it's 28 degrees. We can go out there, spray for a couple, three hours, and then the ground is thawing because it gets to 40 or 50 degrees during the day, and then the herbicide attaches itself to soil. It works fantastically well, and March is the month we get the most snow. We just had, I don't even know, seven or eight inches here overnight, so it's absolutely perfect. The ground's thawed underneath, and the snow is pushing that herbicide down into the ground, the herbicide's going to work great. We've done this for years and it really spreads that workload out. So now when we come along to plant, we can just go plant. Or if we do need to do tillage on some of this, which we do, the herbicide will already be out there. All we have to do is go till it in and we're done. So it's a really nice way to go. And I just thought I would mention that before we get to anything else, talking about pre-emerged corn herbicides. We will be talking about that throughout the show today. And again, if you've got any questions, just give us a call here. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. We've got a number of emails here. Got this one from Ed in Indiana. And he said, I, I need some help refreshing my memory on potassium. Plants use potassium in the form K, but fertilizer analysis are figured in the amount of K2O. Yep. My soil test analysis is in K, but the nutrient removal app is in K2O. Correct. So how does applying potash convert to plant available K? What forms of potassium fertilizer are more plant available than others? Okay. In terms of what's plant available, I'll just say this. Liquid is going to be available way faster than dry. And in terms of the dry, it does take a little while to break down. I mean, have you ever taken potash and just tried to kind of run it through your fingers, hold it in your hands? Um, <laughs> I think you can figure out pretty fast. It's not going to break down like tomorrow. So, yeah, it takes a little bit of time, whereas liquid is available right away. In terms of the conversion, potassium to K2O potassium, super, super simple. Just multiply the 1 times 1.2. So in other words, K times 1.2 is going to give you the K2O. That's all you need to do. So for example, if let's say you had 100 pounds of K, that means you have 120 pounds of K2O because you take the 100 times 1.2 done. That a pretty simple calculation. Yeah, I don't know why they have to do that. I just I wish everything was in K2O. So then we're all speaking the same language because potash, by the way, when it's 0060, it's not 60% potassium. It is 60% K2O potassium. It's only 50% potassium. So here again, you take 50 times 1.2. What does that give you? 60. All right, thanks for the question. Got this from Jason in Idaho. And he said, I 
I was uh, checking out the Neil Kinsey seminar, and I have a question for you on page 134 of the book. And also wanted to ask you about my soil tests here. I've got issues with magnesium. I'm low, and I don't have a local source of dolomitic lime. Wondering if a good dairy compost could be more bang for the buck than throwing a bunch of K-Mag out there. So I sent some of my samples and a sample of some of the compost. Just wondering how available do you think the nutrients are going to be in the first and second years, which is always a question in compost. He said, if I apply right before planting a barley or potato crop, can I really cut back that much on my fertilizer based off that compost analysis? Okay, so let's start with this. It's light soil. We're talking 7 to 9 CEC, so it doesn't take nearly as many total pounds to get the percentage up with magnesium, your percentage is 75 to 8%. But nevertheless, you're going to need some pounds. And I would just talk to a number of fertilizer dealers in your area and a few farmers that have dealt with this and just see what they suggest. Because like you say, you got to have something that can be sourced locally and you're trying to do this for as few dollars as possible. So will the compost and or manure help? Absolutely. There's some magnesium in there, but the question is, is there enough magnesium to, to really truly flip anything around? So Part of where I would start is I would look at how much magnesium is my crop going to remove, and then I'd make sure that I'm putting more than that amount of magnesium out there by a ways because you really need to get this built up. Not only is there not a lot of parts per million, you're at roughly 60 to 90 parts per million, but you don't have enough on the percent-based saturation too, like we talked about. So you just need more magnesium. Ideally, we're looking to get that magnesium percent up to somewhere around 12 at a bare minimum. But in light soil, personally, I like seeing it closer to 16, 18, even 20%. So you could put a lot of magnesium out there and still be in good shape. But yeah, there are certainly fertilizer products. There's dolomitic lime. There's some in, some magnesium in compost and manure. There are lots of different sources for it. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. Uh, this from Brand. Oh, I'm sorry. Not Brandon. Uh, from Larry. And he said, I had, thank you for answering my questions that I had sent before about weed control and soybeans. I have changed uh, and ordered Enlist beans now, and I'm wondering if Enlist would offer me any difference uh, in the program versus what you recommended. We're talking about water hemp and lamb's quarters, and he said he'd had some crop injury with Sharpen and Metribuzin had been a little bit harsh on his crop in low CEC soil in the past. Yeah, so really light sand, then you might have to skip the metribuse, and otherwise you cut the rate. And you go Valor or Authority plus Trifluralin or Prowl. doesn't make any difference if you're in List, Extend, Liberty, whatever. We want to then follow post-emerge with a Group 15 and maybe a PPO, and then end up coming with the Enlist and or Liberty. you got lots of good options there. Well, stay tuned. We will talk about pre-emerge herbicides right after this. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. 
Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking pre-emerge corn herbicides. We got our friend Dan Waldstein on right now with BASF. Dan, how are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, good to be with you today. Well, I'm glad you're on first because a lot of times we get talking about things and we say, you know what? Uh, we can use verdict for that, <laughs> and we can smoke a lot of broadleaf weed problems out there. And guys will give us questions, you know, wow, what do you think? And I know a lot of times we'll talk about status for post-emerge, and some guys complain, oh, it's a little high-priced. It, it, it's expensive, Dan. I wish it was cheaper. But when you think about broad-spectrum sure. weed control, that's a pretty darn good one-two punch. It is, absolutely, yeah. Verdict is kind of our foundational pre for corn. That's really our lead recommendation. Um, you get the burn down and the residual. We've got a couple different chemistries in there. Uh, fairly low use rate, typically 10 to 14 ounces, and uh, it gives us real good broad-spectrum weed control. So we really we like it. It gets us off to a good start. And then, like you say, uh, status post is a great follow-up with uh, with the verdict application. Yeah, there's so many different weed control challenges as we head around the country, and that's been a, a really nice program for us in that there's hardly a weed that we wouldn't recommend that as a top option on. Do you, do you see spots where you say, you know what, uh, verdict is just going to take care of this weed 100%. We don't see much that we're going to have to do post, or are you kind of always in that two-pass approach mindset? We do have some guys trying to push the envelope. I've talked to growers, um, you know, in, in the Midwest that said, you know what, we use a high rate of verdict. We're up at 15 or even 16. And then they say, you know, on the majority of our acres, we're, we're good with that, you know, and we know in some acres we'll have to come back and clean it up. But they like that because they can, they can get away with, you know, one shot 
on the majority of their acres. So it's by no means a guarantee. But again, having that flexibility on at least on heavier soils to go up to 18 ounces if we need to, uh, you know, you could work it that way. But I would say in general, yeah, it's usually a setup rate. 10 ounces is pretty common. And then come back with your post application. Okay, talk to us about a couple other things. We get a lot of comments from farmers about, my goodness, that product had a lot of burn down in it. What do you do to get the most burn down out of Verdict? Yeah, so with Verdict, with that Kixor chemistry, we need to get MSO in there. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it does work well. Um, you know, it, it actually works fairly well, even in cooler temperatures, that Kixor chemistry. Now, we don't want to push the envelope and start looking at, you know, overnight lows below 40. That's, that's pretty tough to go up against for any chemistry. But if you get in that in between the kind of 40, 50s and that, and that uh, temperature zone, Verdict really performs well because of that kickstart chemistry. It's not quite as susceptible to uh, decreased efficacy in cold weather conditions. Do you like adding an oil in there? Is liquid 28% enough to heat things up? What What do you see? I'm sure you get lots of different mixes. Yeah, we'd like to get a, a, a nitrogen source in there, either uh, AMS or a, a UAN-type solution. Uh, we can actually use um, you know, the urea. The, we can use that as, as a carrier as well. So for some guys that, uh, that want to put it out, and uh, get their weed control and their, their fertilizer application on at the same time, we can do that. And it mixes pretty well with a number. It's an EC formulation, so it's got pretty good uh, tank mix comp- compatibility. Um, the only watch out, and this is true for just about everything, ATS, uh, you got to keep that at 25% or less of the total solution. Um, and so that's the only watch out, but that's true pretty much for anything that you're, you're running uh, herbicide-wise. Yeah, it, it's it's just been a nice option using Verdict Pre because you leave that HPPD window open. We get so many growers who are using a, a pre that has an HPPD, and then they want to use an HPPD post, and and you just can't. You've got to got to mix things up and only use it once. So I, I do like that it doesn't really eliminate anything. When you think about Verdict down, there isn't an insecticide that I can't use. There's not a post emerge herbicide I can't use. Uh, it's pretty pretty nice that way. Yeah, you make a good point about the HPPD inhibitors. We're starting to see some areas that that's really become significant. And so with Verdict, we don't have that group 27 HPPD chemistry in there. Um, so it does give us some confidence, even in those areas where we've got some resistance, that we've got a, a high-powered solution. Well, Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here heading into the spring. All right. Thanks, Brian. Let's head out to Indiana. we got Nick Hustedy with us right now with FMC uh, Talking Corn. Now, Nick, we talk soybeans a lot, but kind of fun. We get to talk a little corn today. Yeah, it's good to mix it up and good to be on again. Okay, so soybeans, I know you've talked to us a lot about multiple modes of action, having good residual and uh, layering up those residuals. What's the strategy that you use on corn for pre-emerge? It really doesn't differentiate that much we always want to use multiple effective sites of action and typically what we ask our growers when we're making our recommendation is you know what is the weed spectrum so oftentimes your pigweed grasses are going to be drivers and you know that's going to trigger the um, tank mixture of a foundation group 15 herbicide so we typically focus on anthem max or anthem flex so taking advantage of that pyroxysulfone component to provide the grass and small seeded broadleaf activity so 
we build on this active ingredient. We want to round out the spectrum. You know, many times our growers are doing with giant ragweed or taco bird as well. And uh, we'll recommend the tank mixture of atrazine, which is a group 5 herbicide, and maybe an HPPD such as mesotrione, uh, clisto, or terpramazone, which would be impact or armazon. So what we're trying to do is kind of set that foundation to uh, thin the herd and help us be more successful with that post-application. Or if we're dealing with situations where maybe there isn't as much weed pressure out there, we could get by one pass. You know, we're talking to a lot of growers this year that are seeing dollar signs. They're saying, man, I got a shot here. I could actually make money. And when you think about this, you're talking about several different modes of action there that we can use pre-emerge. The cost is just a few bushels of corn. It it doesn't take much to pay for this. You're you're exactly right. And there's been a lot of work that would indicate that early season wheat competition can certainly rob. Um, dollars from us just due to, you know, those weeds stealing the resources from the crop. And, and we really want to kind of set that foundation, like I mentioned, and starting clean and remaining clean throughout the season. We know with several of our tough-to-control weed species, it's much harder once they emerge. So if we can manage them in the soil, that's putting our best foot forward. All right. Now, a lot of a lot of growers are in this corn-soybean rotation. When you think about that, we've, we've got broadleaf weeds that we're trying to wipe out here in the corn as much as we can so we don't have to fight them so much in soybeans. Is there anything that we're missing? Do you see anything? Because you get to deal with the other side of this, too, with soybean pre-emerge products and, and all the weed control options there. Are, are there some tips you'd have for farmers in that two-crop rotation of things they need to do a little bit different or they could really emphasize just to, to make it easier? easier for that next crop too? Yeah, I think we can set the, the stage for our rotational crop and corn production, especially as we think about our pigweed species that do have robust resistance profiles. So we always talk about managing the soil feed bank. And uh, really, we have to practice zero tolerance for weed escapes in order to get ahead of some of these species that are very prolific seed producers. So by utilizing several different modes of action that are still effective in corn, uh, again, we can manage that soil seed bank for the rotational crop. And one of the good things, I guess you could say, about pigweed species is their viability in the soil. So after about three years, the viability is reduced. And uh, if we can practice zero tolerance for that three-year period, it allows Mother Nature to um, start to help us in terms of managing our, our pigweeds with uh, solutions that we don't necessarily pour out of a jug when we think about, like, canopy closure as well in corn. So if we plant early... Um, you know, we're going to get a quicker canopy with our, our corn production acres than we would in soybeans. And that shading on the soil surface is going to impede uh, subsequent emergence cohorts. So that's definitely a benefit for our growers. Yeah, absolutely. Great tips there. Uh, certainly a lot of things I don't like about weeds. A lot of people say, why do you guys hate weeds so much? And I just think, man, these weeds are home for cyst nematodes. Weeds are home for corn rootworms. I, I don't want to see any weeds out in my field ever. Uh, great steps there uh, laid out by Nick Hustetti with FMC. Nick, thank you so much. We look forward to having you on again. we got to talk about Zyway sometime soon as well. Yep, looking forward to it. You bet. Thanks, Nick talking about pre-emerge corn herbicides on today's program also taking your calls and agronomic questions our phone lines will be open throughout the entire show today at 844-44-AG-PHD if you've got a weed control challenge or you've got fertility questions we would love to help you stay tuned we'll be right back
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit FelchumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with high striker-treated nitrogen. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Talking pre-emerge corn herbicides on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Chris Munsterman on with us right now with Syngenta. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. Happy Monday to everybody. All right, we're talking about pre-emerged corn herbicides, and certainly there are a lot of choices out there, and we really have not gotten into the HPPD chemistry yet, and there are a lot of growers that are seeing some tremendous value there, and I know Syngenta's got a, a number of different offerings out there. How, how are you talking to growers through all the choices that they've got for pre-emerged corn herbicides and the strategies that come with them? Well, as you know, we have uh, 
quite a few brands to offer. And what we really like to try to do is with our grower customers is to find out what weed pressures or what's their driver weeds. Is it water hemp? Is it palmer? Uh, you know, because we can we can sort of custom design and our retailers can custom design uh, whatever, you know, a program that will suit them. And as we see more and more now with weed resistance and stuff, the HPPD class is becoming more and more needed. Yeah, it sure is. And and a lot of growers are looking at just what are some different options? What are some things I can do pre-emerge here that'll carry me into the season a ways? And hopefully, uh, as we heard earlier in the show, I love this term, thin the herd out. So it's a little easier for my post to, <laughs> to get all well, that, good, good coverage. Yes. Okay, so let me throw and, a couple weeds at that, you. Let me throw, okay, sure. so you mentioned okay. pigweed right off the bat. And I, I'm sure that's one everybody's thinking about, and we've been talking about pigweed a little bit. How about ragweed? Do you see common and giant ragweed as a, a much different challenge than pigweed, or is it some of the same types of solutions? Well, giant ragweed in particular, since it's a deep-seeded broadleaf, it, it can pose struggles. Our Acuron brands of herbicide have been particularly effective on that from a pre-emergent standpoint due to the bicyclopyrone, you mentioned HPPDs earlier, but we've added a new uh, HPPD to the mix in our Acuron brands called bicyclopyrone. And what it does in combination with the Callisto in those herbicides is it broadens the spectrum of broadleaf weeds that we're controlling, even helps out some on grass, and it really adds to the residual control. So we've had good luck with giant ragweed with Acuron programs. All right, how about mare's tail? I know we've got a lot of no-till guys that say, man, you guys talk about pigweed, but mare's tail is my biggest challenge. Well, mare's tail, of course, with our HPPD herbicides and some atrazine-containing brands, pre-emerge, can help control mare's tail, but you're still going to need to put need to put a contact killer in there, whether it's gramoxone or uh, glyphosate brands too, even though it's resistant to glyphosate. Liberty is also a great option for mare's tail control in crop that we've seen over the years. And I'm an old timer, so I remember back when it was called <laughs> <at> night. <laughs> okay, okay. Talk to, talk to us about pigweed then. Everybody wants to talk about pigweed, and, and honestly, yeah. it's it's probably the worst one. So what do, what do you do? Because killing it the first time doesn't seem to be the challenge. It's that it just keeps coming. Right. Well, and that's the thing. What we try to do at Syngenta is keep, we got to get you to crop canopy because we don't have anything to sell as good as shade for pigweed. So we like to see people use a robust rate of a pre-emerge and then a timely application of a post with some overlapping residuals as well. So uh, my colleagues down south would say, if you ever let a palm or pigweed get taller than a dime standing up, you're probably going to chase it the rest of the season and not kill it. So it's robust rates. Think about investing in your crop's potential. Don't think about pinching pennies and cut off your nose to spite your face. So you have to invest in a strong pre and be ready to pull the trigger uh, before your residual runs out on your pre. Okay, you mentioned crop canopy, and we we love hearing that too. And we we remind a lot of times we get non farmers that'll say, "Man, you guys are always talking about herbicides." Hey, herbicides are our last resort. If we have a weed, yes. that's that's what we got to do to kill. If we can shade it out, and they don't even get started, yes. that's the best thing for everybody. It doesn't cost anything. So, talk to us about that crop canopy. Do you like early planting? Do you like heavy population or narrow row spacing? What what kind of things are you seeing that are working? in your area? Well, I think 20-inch corn is definitely a benefit as you get farther north. Uh, 
as, as things go on. Uh, one of the disturbing trends I'm seeing is guys wanting to go to 30 intro soybeans coinciding with the influx of palm or pigweed. Those two things do not go along with each other well, and you're probably setting yourself up for failure. So I'd like to see beans 20 inches or less row width and, you know, corn, you can still manage at 30s. And, you know, with guys shooting for maximum yields in corn, they're still dropping 36 to 38,000. So you'll get shading there fairly quickly as well. Yeah, I think looking at, at hybrids and leaf orientation and those kinds of things, we've had a lot of strategies yeah. that farmers have shared on the show here. And if if uh, you're listening today and you haven't really thought through all those things that could influence crop canopy, talk to your seed supplier about that because those are some things yeah. that, you know, just picking one hybrid versus the other, maybe they yield the same and many of the characteristics are the same, but, hey, you got this wide leaf uh, <laughs> product that's going to shade things out. That could be a real benefit for you, benefit for you this year. That's that's very true it all with with resistance management and these some of these species that are just really really hard to control it's never going to be one tactic or magic bullet it's you know the holistic view of managing weed seed banks leaf architecture and strong herbicide strong timely herbicide applications Yep, good advice there. Talking with Chris Munsterman with Syngenta. No silver bullets from Chris, but just some good old-fashioned advice. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I appreciate the help. Thank you all. Yeah, one of the things Chris was talking about there is 30-inch rows in soybeans. And, yes, there will be a little bit more in terms of weed issues to deal with. But the problem, if you go narrow rows, in a lot of our geography in the northern United States and southern Canada is sclerotinia white mold. The white mold is so stinking bad a lot of years that we just don't have a lot of choice but to go wider rows and a little bit lower planting populations. So when you do that, you have to have a better herbicide program. But we're talking more corn today, so I I wanted to to say just a few more things about corn herbicides pre-emerge. To me, there's one main question you have to ask yourself. Do I want to use an HPPD post or do I not? Because if I want to use an HPPD herbicide post, so that would be like Callisto, Laudus, Impact, Armazon, or any of the premixes that contain any of those active ingredients. Anyway, if you want to use a an HPPD post-emerge, that means we will never, ever recommend you use an HPPD pre. If you're going to double up, you're going to use one pre and post, you most likely will have carryover. Now, it's not a big deal if you're going to go back to corn, but if you're going to go to beans, that doesn't make a lot of sense. The other thing is, in terms of weed resistance issues, you doubling up on HPPD, that's not helping things. So here's what I usually will talk to farmers about. Okay, post-emerge, HPPDs are just ridiculously cheap. I mean, so unbelievably inexpensive, and they're super effective. So a lot of farmers are going with an HPPD post, that's going to take the HPPD out pre. So then the only other question is, how much do you want to control your grass? In other words, if it's Roundup-ready corn, I'm not super worried about grass. But if it's non-Roundup corn, it's what what many people are calling conventional corn, well, then you need to go a full rate of a Group 15 pre. Okay, something like Harness, Surpass, Outlook, Dual, Zidual, one of those. Get yourself up to a full rate of Group 15 because you can't kill your grass post-emerge very well or very inexpensively in conventional corn. So you got to do a great job pre. So those are really the two big things that I'm looking at. And if you say, well, you know what? I don't 
I, I am going to use HPPD post and I have Roundup Ready Corn. Well, now you're, you, you have a lot of options there. I, I mean, yeah, we don't want the HPPD, but you can use one of these, these premixes that doesn't contain an HPPD. So let's just say uh, Sure Starter Triple Flex. That's the most popular premix early on because it's super inexpensive. That's Harness or Surpass. I mean, they're the same thing. Plus Python, plus Stinger. So very inexpensive, works okay. Then you follow up with, let's say, glyphosate and an HPPD post-emerge. Super inexpensive program, really good weed control. You could also go with something like Verdict that costs a little more money pre-emerge. That's going to give you the Group 15 Outlook along with a PPO Sharpen that's really good on broadleaves. So those are good options for these pre-emerge Premixes. Now, certainly you can run an HPPD pre if you want to, but then post-emerge, you're kind of left with dicamba or status, uh, tough, some of those kind of products. That's about all you got. Well, we'll get back to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void were prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, and if you have a question, you can either email us radio at agphd.com or you can give us a phone call 844 44 Ag PhD. Got an email from Brandon, uh, what a week or so back, and uh, we were talking about two by two fertilizer. He had some questions and he had a follow up, and he he said, thanks for the, the inferro rule of thumb with salt and so forth, but still on this idea of two-by-two two fertilizer placement and corn seed safeness. So I look forward to doing some trials on our farm with two-by-two two and 1034 We've got limited rainfall, and I'm just wondering if you'd be nervous in a two-by-two with limited rainfall, and this must be corn. So he says corn seed safeness here. Seven gallons, 10 gallons, 15 gallons, 25 gallons. What would you think In of- furrow? No, no, two by two. Oh, two by two. two okay, by two. okay, okay. I missed that. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I don't, I, I wouldn't get super worried about that. But nevertheless, here, here's the whole thing. A lot of people want to try things out for safety. The problem with trying things out for safety is if it fails one out of 10 years, that's still too many, right? I, I mean, there's no farmer that's going to want a, a failure 10% of the time. That would be disastrous. So a lot of times people say to us, after we go out and look at their disaster, they'll say, well, I've done it for 10 years in a row. I've done it for five years in a row. This is what I always do, things like that. You can't test things for safety as well as you can test things for, for example, efficacy in terms of weed control or, you know, how much is it boosting my yield adding 1034-0. That's our concern. So our, our rules, one more time, since we haven't mentioned it today, it's the further away you can be from the seed, the safer you are, the heavier your ground, the safer you are, and the more water you have, the safer you are. So if we're planting in light soil, we're putting the fertilizer close to the seed and we don't get a lot of rainfall, that's when we worry. Well, that might be on your farm, a one in 10 year experience. And all of a sudden it's something that, oh, I tried it for three years and I didn't have any problems. So now I'm going to do it on the whole farm. Now you have a whole farm disaster of losing 50 bushels on your corn. So it's just simply not worth it. We're, we're not big fans of 1034. It, 1034 anyway, it's high salt. So when you start getting up to 15 gallons, that's where you're really starting to push. I'm, I can't say that I'm like super crazy worried, but let's also look at the flip side. You're spending a lot of money there. So you're taking risk with the salt and you could do the same thing with dry fertilizer, or you could do the same thing with, let's say a low salt fertilizer. We use a lot of agri-liquid stuff, for example. And I, I think you'd come out money ahead. So using some 
of a high salt product like 1034 is fine, but just be, just be careful. And that was our number one message when we were talking about that stuff a week ago. Be careful, because the last thing you want to have happen is you spend a bunch of money on fertilizer, and then it costs you yield. All right. Uh, thanks for that question. We appreciate that. Oh, uh, the other thing that Brandon made a comment of is building up phosphate levels in the soil. You don't want to do that with 1034. It's kind no. of an expensive way to do that. Yep, it is. And then also building in bands, we're not super big fans of. You can do that, but I don't love it. I'd rather broadcast to build personally. All right. Uh, next one comes from John, and he said, I, I get, sent you two soil tests here. One of them is named the coroner. That's the top one. And you've got a fertility problem and low yield issues on points three, four, and five. And I circled those. And look over at the K, Brian. It's under yeah. 2% K. The other parts that are yielding better have higher levels of K. So they said, we've got some deep old tile in the ground. And we're making big potash applications, 400 pounds. Yep. But we don't feel like we're moving the needle much at all. Just wondering what advice you would give us. Well, how many times have they done that? I don't know. doesn't say how many times, I guess. Okay. But is there right. something right. other than potash well, well, that you think we should be working on? Or no. should we be both? Well, doing, okay. Doing yeah, I, I get it. Uh, so they're also low on boron. I mean, they've got... Well, the copper isn't bad. There, there are some spots under two parts per million, but it's not terrible. The zinc isn't terrible. It's also not good. But And then sulfur's low. So anyway, for zinc, just to give you an idea here, we're talking one to three parts per million, or one and a half to three parts per million. The phosphorus is also a little on the low side. So there are spots as low as 20 parts per million of available phosphorus today. Uh, but it, it's not horrible. There's one spot of 58 parts per million on an Olson test and the P2 levels aren't terrible. So you've got, you know, in the range of 34 all the way up to 121 on that. But anyway, yeah, I just, it's almost everything you need to keep adding and keep building. But the biggest thing you're terribly short on is the potash or potassium. But here's, here's the thing. A lot of people go, well, 400 pounds, I put that out and it didn't move it a whole lot. Well, yeah, because you've got really heavy soil in in some spots. So there's a 21 CEC. When you're at 21 CEC, it just takes a lot of pounds to get you up where you need to be. And you'll get there. You will. It just it takes time for the potassium to break down in potash, and you're going to use a lot. Did I, Darren, did he happen to say what his yield levels were at, where his yield levels no. were at? No. Nope. Okay. So anyway, um, here, let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you this example. So for corn, a lot of our fields were shooting for 250 on corn. So I don't know what he's shooting for, but I'll just give you this example of 250. Do you know how much potassium a 250 bushel corn crop takes? It takes 338 pounds of potassium. That's more than your soil currently has in total. I mean, you've got, well, take that back. There's one spot, one spot on the whole farm that has that many pounds. That's it. 338 pounds. So 400 pounds of potash. Oh, it sounds like a lot of stuff, but it's only 60% active. So that's 240 pounds that you're putting out. Well, the crop's going to remove 338. So anyway, in terms of grain removal, let's say you leave all the stover out there. If you leave all the stover out there, your grain removal is only 63 pounds. Okay, so if you put out 240, you take out 63, you are coming out ahead. 
all right? But it's not ahead by the leaps and bounds that you think it maybe is. So you've got a long ways to go till you reach what we would consider maximum or uh, extreme on the high side of 8%. You got a long ways to go. So I, I'm not saying do more than 400 in one shot. 400 in one application is okay. I, I, I'm not saying it's terrible. It's, it's okay. Personally, if it was me, I might consider doing a little more. But do that for four or six years in a row, and then you will see, oh, wow, okay, now my potash levels or my potassium levels got way up to really where I want them to be. All right, thanks for that. We appreciate those questions. All right, here's one that we get from time to time. This comes from George in Bulgaria, and he said, This year my corn seed dealer brought me seeds that are very small and light. 39 pounds for an 80,000 kernel bag. Yep. The cold germ is 95%, which I'm happy Great. with. Yep. My concern is the weight. Do you think that despite their size, they can develop their yes. genetic potential? That's the first of two questions. Yep, yep, that'll be just fine. Yep, no problem at all. Not concerned about that, George. Nope. That, now, one of the things that people will say is, well, you've only got so much food in that seed. Well, that food's only supposed to get you just a little ways into the season until right. that plant starts developing roots. So if you wanted to put more food nearby, banding it, uh, in furrow, two by two, those types of things that can help you out too. But I, I don't, we haven't seen any difference based on seed size. Okay. Second question refers to corn starter fertilizer. I'm planning to use three gallons per acre of ammonium polyphosphate, 103040. Just wondering what your recommendation is to put it in furrow, or would you rather see that in a two by two on each side of the row? Three gallons of 103040. Well, that's the absolute max I would want to see in furrow. So let's put it this way. If, if I had my choice, now I realize this makes it more work, but if I had my choice, I would probably cut that down. I'd go a gallon or two, throw some water with it, and maybe use uh, just a low rate of a micronutrient blend in furrow. That's what I would do. And that we call pop-up fertilizer. So if I, if I was going to go, let's say, five gallons, then I'm definitely going two by two, three gallons, in furrow, like I say, that's an absolute max. And even then, I might want to put a little water with it just to make it a little bit safer. So, yeah, you could go either way. It's up to you what you want to do. Stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions after this short break. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, 
or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, you can give us your question by calling at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got a couple things here, Brian. One from Gordon. He sent some satellite views of his farm uh, before and after tiling. It is noticeable out of those fields how much better things look after he got the tile in there. Way to go, Gordon. I know Gordon's been working on this now for a number of years trying to improve the farm and and it's making a huge difference. And also, what's been interesting because I know Gordon, uh, in his area, there are a lot of other farmers that once they got started, once Gordon and his brother got started tiling, a lot of the neighbors started tiling and they started doing some work with the neighbors and that's just awesome how that turns things around in a community. All right, got one from Sam here. He said, in advance of your tiling clinic on Tuesday, I've got a question regarding mainlines. I have a field about 3,000 feet long, 1,200 feet wide, 83 acres. It's got an old tile line that's 80-plus-year-old clay tile that's failing in many areas, especially further from the outlet. I'd like to run three main lines that would be too large for a tile plow that I could pull. I can pull a tile plow that installs four inch and would do so for the laterals. My ancestors were able to dig all this by hand, so I would think I could dig the mains <laughs> myself with a backhoe. Would you recommend no. a different approach? If yes. I were to use a backhoe, what technique would you recommend to maintain the right slope through the field? And I got a follow-up question too. Okay. So no, I I don't like it backhoed in. I mean, if you're going with massive lines, so when we put in stuff that's been let's call it 14 inches or 16 inches, then I don't mind it so much. And it it doesn't have to be exactly perfect because you've got a little bit of room to play with. When you start talking about, let's call it eight inch main lines, 
That's really, really hard to be accurate, unless you have a fair amount of slope, if you're going to dig that in. So right. honestly, I would plow it in. That's what I would do. I'd just get a different plow. The plows don't cost that much. All right. So let me just throw this in. His follow-up question was, since this has oh, this old clay tile and it's failing, I'm thinking of just treating this field as virgin ground and developing yes. a plan as if it yes. was not tiled at all. I agree 100%. Would that make things a lot more simple? Would yep. you consider doing more than three mains so I could do it all myself? Yes. I absolutely would. This is one of the things. We've got our Ag PhD tiling clinic coming up tomorrow. And you can join us. We still have just a few in-person spots left. Otherwise, you can join us online. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. But we say it all the time. It's a lot less expensive, and you can be a lot more timely when you're putting it in yourself. Now, if you don't want to, I get that. There are plenty of tile contractors out there. But there are also a lot of people who are really busy and some guys who have two-year waiting lists. So you just have to call around a little bit. But we like putting stuff in ourselves, and we've had this exact scenario pop up where I go, ooh, I can't put in a 12-inch main myself, but we're we're very comfortable putting in 8-inch lines. So let's just split the field. Let's run some more sub-mains, and we'll make it work that way. And then we'll out, we might even go to multiple outlets. We could outlet them all in the same spot. We could also just dig in this massive 2-foot uh tile line that runs literally like 50 feet if we want to. I mean, that's no real huge deal. So yeah, that's how I would do it is I would just go with more sub mains and put it in myself. All right. Thanks for the, for the question, Sam. And hopefully you're able to catch the, the clinic tomorrow and get some other ideas too. Uh, I got this one from MK wondering what exactly does base saturation mean and can you calculate it if you don't have it on your soil test? And then yes. we got a question from Bob in Northwest Ohio who sent some soil tests uh, wondering what are the top three things that we should try to fix right away there. He's going to plant beans and he's got the field systematically tiled every 25 feet. So Bob sent us samples that don't have base saturation. I thought, oh, well, here's a good opportunity. We can take MK's question at the same time. Okay. So let me just be super blunt here. And, and no offense to anybody who's doing testing or anything else or any tests that we get sent in. So send us whatever you've got and we'll make the best out of it. But honestly, I hate when we don't have complete tests. I hate when we don't have base saturation on there. And I really hate when we don't have sodium on there because that's such an enormous key to the whole thing. And so like on the tests that Bob sent in, I don't have base saturation and I don't have sodium. Now, I'm, I'm going to run a calculation here. I've got it on my computer. It just, you can do this relatively simply if you have a spreadsheet all set up, which I do. And he has a 7 pH, which makes, makes it easy because I know the hydrogen is zero at that point. But anyway, all I did is put in his numbers, his parts per million for potassium, magnesium, calcium, sodium. And what base saturation is, just to step back for a second, it's just the ratio of those four nutrients along with hydrogen. Of those four or five in total nutrients, it's their ratio to each other. So the way you calculate it is, and I know this seems a little ridiculous, but you have to take parts per million divided by the atomic weight per valence times 10. So <laughs> you go, what the heck, atomic weight per valence? And yeah, I know, it's a little complicated. So here's the formula, like for potassium, it's he had 240 parts per million. I just take that divided by the atomic weight per valence times 10 for potassium is 390. 
So atomic weight per valence is 39 times 10 is 390. So anyway, I take the 240 divided by 390. That gives me a weight of 0.62. And then I have to take parts per million divided by weight divided by the cation exchange capacity. And that gives me my base saturation. Well, anyway, his cation exchange capacity, that was measured. That's 16.7. So when I, by the time I run all this, it gives me 3.7% potassium. Anyway, I also was able to calculate the amount of sodium that he has in his soil, which is 0.5. So that's not troublesome. It's also uh, fine to raise most crops. There is enough there. But anyway, here was his base saturation. It was 3.7% K, 13.8% magnesium, and 82% calcium. So it's actually good. It's just for me, the potassium is a little bit low. So he's asking, Bob's asking, okay, what do I need? What would you suggest I do? Well, I'm I'm always going to focus first, other than obviously everybody needs nitrogen. Okay, so we're setting that to the side. But the first things I'm going to look at, his pH is 7. So it's a little on the high side, but I mean, it's fine. Uh, phosphorus, he's only at 55 parts per million. He needs more phosphorus. He And this is a Malik 3 test, by the way. So this would equate similar to a P2 test, a strong Bray test. If you're running uh, one of those kind of tests, it would also correlate uh, somewhat to the Olsen test, but not super well. Usually these Maleks are a little running a little higher than the Olsen. Anyway, okay, so I'm looking at 55 parts per million of phosphorus. You absolutely need more of that. You're too low on potassium, 3.7% base saturation K and only 240 parts per million in this 17 CEC soil. So those are the first two things. Next thing is zinc's only at three, and we'd like to see a 10 to one ratio so of phosphorus to zinc. So I'm trying to bump that a little bit more. So I'm, I'm focused probably first on P, K, and zinc. Now, if you want to address anything else, Sure, boron's a little bit on the low side, just under two parts per million. Sulfur's low, you got to have some of that. So, I mean, there are definitely other things to address, but start with P and K, then you start going to zinc and some of these and sulfur and some of these micros. All right, thanks for the questions. Uh, fun talking about base saturation. Got this one from Milt, and he is in Greece. And he said, Good morning from Greece. I'd like to hear about optimum planting orientation for sunlight interception and row, row cool down after a long hot day. I'd also like to learn more about liquid starter fertilizers because here in Greece, we're using dry in row treatments with row cultivators after V5. With our current practices, we can max out at about 282 bushel. We can't get past that. Just wondering if liquid and our row orientation might be things we could try to fix that. The row orientation thing is really hard, and it does. You can look at leaf orientation. That's one of the things when you're picking out your hybrids. So, Darren, I don't know if you got any quick comments on that. Well, I would say this. Uh, so, so yeah, you could certainly look at more upright leaves if if you want to try and get more sunlight interception down into that row right. a little bit. Uh, but. I think there's some other things that we would try. Now, maybe you're on the right track, and maybe that's the best thing, but but it it's not where we're spending our focus time at. We're, we're looking at how can we singulate the seed perfectly, how can we get every seed planted at the same depth, coming up at the same time, those types of things. Uh, and that has been a bigger deal for us in terms yeah. of turning yield around. And, and then using liquid starter, we don't really like uh, – 
dry close to the seed. We'd rather put the liquid close to the seed, but yeah. you're not coming and in until V5. I'd like to get a little fertilizer out there earlier. Yeah, the problem with the dry at V5 is how much moisture do you have? How quickly does that break down? When does it come available? We would look at the soil test and try to build that soil up before we get going with planting to make sure that you've got the adequate nutrients that are there right away to get the crop off to a great start. Thanks for the question, Melt. We appreciate that. Don't miss the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic. It's coming up tomorrow, March 16th. You can go to agphd.com for more details. Thanks again for joining us today, and be sure to catch Ag PhD each weekday right here on SiriusXM. XM.